Hello, everyone. Welcome to the ACG New York weekly podcast. I am Vic Magdani, Executive Director for ACG New York, and delighted to have you with us today, listening in from wherever you may be. Today, we've got um, two wonderful gentlemen that join us and work for, for Pitchbook, who have been longstanding partners of ours and affiliates of ACG New York, that is. So hello to, to Dylan and Wiley. Happy New Year, both. Hey, Vikash. Happy New Year. Thanks for having us on. No, Hello. Uh, Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you both. And I thought that um, we could talk to you both about this um, report that you've put out on, on the middle market private equity world, Q3 specifically. And I thought we could delve a little bit deeper into that and, and sort of extrapolate into the future and uh, 2021, which we both well, we all find ourselves in, but who knows what, what, what may behold. But it's some great takeaways from that. And, and of course, we'll, we'll get into deeper. But um, perhaps, perhaps you, Dylan, first, a little bit more about yourself, sir, and, and your journey to the here and now and what you do at PitchBook. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, well, again, thanks for having us on. Uh, my name is Dylan Cox. I'm the lead EMEA analyst as part of the uh, institutional research group here at PitchBook. Uh, so I cover... Uh, private equity and venture capital uh, for all parts of Europe. Um, and just recently uh, teamed up with Wiley to publish this report on US middle market. Um, also cover a bit of private debt and uh, prior to PitchBook worked in real estate private equity. And I suppose that's how I, how I ended up here on this podcast. <laughs> and happy to have you. And Wiley? Yeah, so, you know, also, thank you for, for having me on. Um, I am the analyst that leads our US private equity coverage. Um, I kind of focus a lot on the publicly held PE firms, you know, the, the Blackstone, KKR, Apollos of the world, as well as GP stakes and you know, private equity firm valuations. And then a little bit on my previous role was a portfolio manager with a boutique wealth management firm and, and kind of focused more on the public side. And so you know, really coming to the pitch book to help round out, I think, my broader capital markets knowledge. And it's, it's been fun so far. Been here for about three years. Fantastic. Perfect. Thank you both. Um, so let me set the scene here. Um, you know, 2020, a year like no other. I think and I'm reading here, but I don't want to get this wrong. Your report used the words economic wreckage wrought by COVID-19. I think that was in the summary and the, and the, and the, and the prologue. Um, but, you know, we, we, we came into the year, which was another record breaker in terms of fundraising, deals, industry agnostically. So without going, touching too much of what we already know, set the scene for us, gents, you know, how January, a year ago, exactly, where were we? And then COVID hit. And then how, how nimble was the class? How well did it fare? to get us into Q3 that we'll talk about, which, which obviously actually, um, as you read most of the wires and most of the papers, turned out to be a decent M&A um, uh, backend. So, so talk us through that. Maybe, I don't know, who wants to kick off here? Dylan? Sure, I can, I can touch on deal-making a bit and then toss it over to Wiley maybe to talk fundraising. Yeah. Um, so as you alluded to, Vikash, you know, 20, in January of 2020, we were coming off of a a record-breaking year in private equity, particularly as it pertains to uh, U.S. mid-market private equity. Um, you know, I was just looking at our at our report. We had 
We tracked about $480 billion worth of deal value in 2019. Um, you know, it, it, and that's deals between 25 million and a billion in enterprise value. Um, also more deals than it had ever been completed before. Um, you know, institutional investors have long sort of been awaiting a downturn and folks had been talking about a toppy market. EBITDA multiples were very high, leverage multiples were very high, yet deals were getting done. Um, and of course, we all know that, um, you know, COVID was just beginning to emerge uh, a year ago. None of us could have really foreseen what, uh, what took place this year. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, private equity did slow down, particularly in Q2 and Q3. We saw far fewer buyouts um, and far more add-ons and growth equity deals. But um, I'll, I'll stop there. That's sort of where we were. And then we can talk about uh, where we are today. But Wiley, maybe you can touch on fundraising or exits as of a year ago. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely jump jump into that. And I, I think just one other point maybe on the uh, deal side of things was just interesting to see how, you know, private equity firms deployed capital to kind of help support their portfolio companies in a way that maybe they didn't during the global financial crisis and, and how kind of this federal reserve intervention as well as, you know, the PPP loans and some other things kind of helped keep the market flowing in a way that, you know, again, no one foresaw COVID and I think also no one saw kind of the policy response that helped grease a lot of the, the wheels of the economic machine, if you will. And so just, you know, I, I think there's definitely a lot to hit on there and, and happy to do so. You know, I would say, yeah, on the exits front, you, you know, and again, it's it's kind of unique because the middle market, right, anything above a billion, we, we kind of qualify that as outside of the middle market. And so on the exits front, it actually, the, the highest year that we saw was back in, I believe, 20, yeah, it was 2014, but it's typically in that $200 billion range for, for exit value in any given year, a little over a thousand, you know, uh, PE backed sales of, of companies. And, and going into 2020, we, we saw that happening again, and, and we're off to a great start in, in Q1. And then obviously things kind of went very differently. And I would say something, you know, similar-ish on, on the fundraising side, which is that Coming into 2020, 2019 was a, an absolute record-breaking year in terms of um, middle market private equity fundraising. You know, according to, to our data, we saw a little under $140 billion raised in, in middle market-focused PE funds, which we qualify as over $100 million and, and less than that $5 billion threshold where we consider it to be a, a mega fund, if you will. Um, and so, you know, for us, we kind of foresaw um, fundraising slowing down a little bit going into 2020, just because of, of how certain, you know, GPs kind of closed in, in 2019. And, and we just in general thought there was going to be some sort of a slowdown. We couldn't have foreseen obviously what happened, but you know, I mm -hmm. think that kind of helped set the stage a little bit. Just, just sticking on the fundraising, were, were LP sort of doubling down on the managers that they knew? I mean, what, what was the ratio of them? 2017 and 19 saw so many emerging managers crop up. And I wouldn't say it was relatively easy to, to, to get LP attention, but it, it's hard enough in a normal year. But did we, did we have more emerging managers crop up or was it just LPs looking to those that they already know and just banking on them? So I would say a couple things. I would say, you know, in our final data that we we pulled for, you know, the overall private equity market, what we actually saw was that first-time funds accounted for about 10% of the number of funds raised, which is about in line with the last five-year average. And mm -hmm. so while first-time funds definitely 
and I think the narrative around that would tell you that it was very difficult to raise a first-time fund in 2020. The data says it was about in line with, with other years, although the average first-time fund was a little bit maybe smaller. But I think that's something interesting to note. And, and to your point, especially in that Q2 timeframe where a lot of LPs were in you know, panic mode, if that's when it really got kind of put on, on ice for a little bit of, of LPs just doubling down with the Blackstones of the world. And you know, some of these large private equity firms had record-breaking fundraising quarters during the pandemic because they were you know, trying to raise large funds and it was pretty easy just to call up CalPERS or, or what have you and just say, hey, give us a billion dollars rather than you know, try to spend all of your time on these, these other small managers. And so, yeah. yeah. But I guess LPs too have sort of learned to learn with this, not learned to learn, but adapted to this new paradigm. Um, I remember they doing have. a webinar on, on how AGMs, a manager should ho host a meeting or an AGM with LPs um, back in April. And, and I guess they've adapted, haven't they, Wiley? And, they, they, and so without going too much into next year, that, that does bode well for new managers, perhaps, for, next, for this year, rather? It does seem as though they have adapted and, you know, to not yeah, spoil too much, but we can also talk a little bit about our 2021 private equity outlooks in which we're thinking that first-time fundraising will see, you know, the most success since the global financial crisis or around that time period. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely what we're expecting to see. So just Dylan, touching on, on the deal side, I mean, I think it was a FT the other day that put out that it was $3.6 trillion worth of M&A transactions. That's across the board, all, all, all classes. Publics have done very, very well. Um, and, you know, a few deals come to mind, Slack, Refinitiv, and et cetera, et cetera. But so you had cash-rich buyers, and I guess there was a lot of powder with, with the PE class that were going out there and, 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 and doing deals. So I want to sort of, maybe you can home in on bulge bracket aside as we hit to the middle market, which is what's pertinent for... for ACG, how did they fare and which particular industries and sectors did well? Sure. So as you mentioned, M&A really rebounded, I think, more quickly than most of us expected. You know, if, if you would have pulled us in, in May or in April or May, we would have said that M&A was 30, 40 percent behind 20 year, 2019's figures, which which didn't turn out to be the case. Yeah. Um, but bulge bracket aside, focusing on, on the mid-market we saw a lot more add-ons, a lot more focus on, um, you know, kind of de-risking transactions, maybe putting more cash uh, into the deal upfront and refinancing it later once credit markets are sort of level out a little bit. Uh, but back to your question in terms of sectors, you know, we continue to see, or we saw really an acceleration of some trends that had been in place prior to COVID. Uh, for example, we saw even more tech deals than we did or a greater percentage of private equity deals were in technology IT than they were in the year prior. Um, a majority of that are software acquisitions. Um, you know, it's no secret that private equity firms really, um, really find the recurring revenue nature of SaaS business models to be very attractive. Um, and then healthcare is another area where we've seen uh, great strides. You know, you see uh, many of the bulge bracket players. Um, raising healthcare-focused funds. Uh, Blackstone acquired a uh, life sciences firm just a couple of years ago. Um, KKR has a healthcare-focused division, and, it, and it's, that's reflected in the mid-market as well. Um, on more of the venture side, you've seen a lot of focus on biotech and sort of, you know, 
building mRNA and, and uh, sort of other technologies that could help us toward a vaccine. That hasn't been the case in private equity, of course, we're focused on much more mature companies. Uh, but those are two, two sectors that I would certainly highlight. Are we seeing, Dylan, more PE to PE transactions? So bulge looking down, is the matrix just widen that ecosystem? You know, is it, I'm seeing a lot of top tier VC more so before all of this selling into lower and mid-market PE, but is that, is that sort of ramping up and certainly PE to PE? Yeah, they both are. Uh, so VC to PE, and then also sponsor to sponsor, private equity to private equity have been on the rise for a number of years. Uh, if I remember correctly, sponsor to sponsor deals are about half of all private equity exits. Mm. Uh, that didn't used to be the case, right? Uh, sponsor to sponsor deals were very much frowned upon uh, in, in private equity in the LP community, at least as you know, it, it could have been the case that the LP was involved and in, it was committed to funds on both sides of the, tr the transaction and it wasn't well understood or, or accepted uh, that there could be private equity firms with distinct areas of, of focus or expertise to add value on either side of that deal. But they are about half of all exits now, uh, so certainly not something that you can ignore in private equity. Yeah. Before I get into exits, I want to talk about strategies. I mean, we saw SPACs just all over the four and, and, and more to come, I, I would say. Um, I, it's not really a bulge bracket audience here, but do you see, nevertheless, it's quite pertinent. Do you see more SPACs, continuation funds, secondaries buying into those? What do you see there? I mean, well, least, I can take a little bit yeah. on, on the SPAC front. That's, you know, it's almost like you read our, our outlooks and are, are kind of teeing them up for us. But <laughs> that's also another area that we're predicting, you know, at least record-breaking deal activity or exit activity is, is from PE-backed portfolio companies going public via, you know, SPACs. And, and there's quite a few reasons around that. And, and we've seen a couple of them so far in, in 2020 get announced. And then going into 2021, it seems like there's just several tailwinds there. And the amount of buyers now in the market is... You know, multiples higher than it's ever been. And, and they're sitting on the equivalent of a couple hundred billion dollars in dry powder because, you know, these firms, these SPACs end up buying, let's say a 20% stake, which means, you know, if they've raised 75 billion, it's really closer to 375 billion of, of kind of buying power, buying power as we would, uh, you know, typically see it. And so we absolutely think SPACs are going to become a larger part of the overall private equity ecosystem, especially on the exit side. It might be more on the bulge bracket, higher, higher end of the market, but that definitely has trickle down effects in terms of multiples and, and kind of pressures for the mid market as well. So something to be aware of. Yeah, I was, I was just about to ask, is that more elephant sized firms that are using those strategies or will we see it trickling down? So, so thank, thanks for answering that. So uh, are we starting to see exits having said all of that? sort of tick up or a GP's waiting for maybe a better economic environment. You know, we've just, I won't go back to, to, to last week and what happened, but um, you know, let's be, let's, let's be um, an optimist that we should be, or at least I should be and, and look to the future and a new government and, and that will bring with it new vagaries. So are, are, are managers waiting? Are they sort of just sitting a little, um, a little bit longer? So I think that's kind of, at least to me, one of the most interesting things about 2020 in terms of private equity and is, is one thing I'd love to touch on is, is that bifurcation that we saw in the middle market where exits 
were down and, and down kind of substantially, whereas at, at kind of the top end or versus all private equity, we actually saw exit value up year on year. And it was really driven by IPOs and the public markets and, and a few just massive transactions, you know, whether it was Zoom info or, or a couple of these other tech, you know, or, or financial services or, or healthcare firms that were backed by private equity firms going public for 10, you know, billion dollars or, or in that uh, range. And I, I think that's really interesting. And, and so on, on the smaller side where Mark's maybe hadn't recovered as quickly and, and, you know, those public comps weren't maybe quite there. We've seen private equity firms kind of hold on to those portfolio companies for a longer time. And so exits in terms of counts definitely are down by a, a pretty decent margin. And I think that also shows up in, in kind of, to your point, those continuation funds, those maybe GP led secondaries. And in some anecdotal pieces that we've seen from, you know, data providers that, that cover the, the secondary space, they're predicting that the GP led side will account for more value than the LP led side for the first time ever in 2020. And maybe a lot of that is perhaps because, you know, there was a 2020 sales process that was you know, not going to happen. Maybe it's going to take a year or two to recover. You're, you're butting up against the end of that, that fun life. And all of a sudden you need to roll it over into a new SPD. And so mm. very, very interesting things happening on that front. Smart folk. Um, so Dylan, looking ahead, I guess, are we going to see more of the same? You know, still plenty of powder out there. Um, you know, and, and actually, let me rewind back into Q3. Was that predominantly in the middle market legacy deals that were being spoken about sort of pre-COVID into Q2? And it took a bit of time to get them over the line. So what are the pipelines for, for these managers looking like for this, for this um, trend to continue? It was a good mix of both. You know, we saw a lot of deals that were already in the works be put on hold, put on ice uh, when, when COVID hit. Um, and then we saw a lot of managers sort of pivot strategies and look for other ways to deploy capital um, over the summer and into the fall um, as everyone sort of adjusted uh, to the new, new COVID environment. Um, we saw some managers pursue pipe deals, private investments and public equities. Yep. You know, we saw this very quick dislocation and certain managers uh, who sort of had experience doing this more at the bulge bracket level uh, invested in some of those public equities when they were 30 or 40% down their, their prior peaks, that opportunity didn't last for very long. Um, you know, we, we've sort of seen a bull market and everything since, since March and April of last year. Um, and since then, you know, we, we've seen buyout deal structures, sort of typical mid market deal structures return. We haven't seen as much of the, uh, restructurings or bridge financings or uh, kind of temporary growth equity, things like that. Yeah. Are we, are we looking at, maybe I could delve into carve outs and add-ons and, and we can touch on, on the, the, those type of deals. Where, where did we see most action and what, what are we going to see going forward? So, so we mentioned add-ons now make up, I think, 65 or 70% of all mid-market deals. Mm -hmm. It's really quite extraordinary when you compare that to a decade or ago. Uh, in terms of carve-outs, we expected to see many more than we did uh, through the first three quarters of last year. Right. And Wiley, Wiley and I were talking about this just the other day with, um, with the amount of sort of economic distress that, that we saw. Um, we expected more companies to have to raise cash by spinning out certain divisions or 
or different arms that were deemed less necessary or maybe struggling. And we expected private equity firms to be willing buyers in those scenarios. That hasn't come to light, I think, in part because there's been such a rush of liquidity uh, in the market. You know, the Fed started, first we saw lowered interest rates and then the Fed started buying um, everything from investment grade credit to high yield bonds, which allowed many of those would be struggling portfolio companies to continue issuing debt to really stay alive in, in this sort of environment, which is good from a, from a macroeconomic perspective. But if you're a PE firm looking for carve out opportunities, it's, uh, it's not as appealing. That being said, we have predicted uh, really a surge in carve outs going into next year, particularly as, you know, some of those, um, if, if COVID lingers and some of those government aid programs or, or other financing options sort of dry up, we expect to see a rebound there. Yeah. And we'll just throw in, in there on Carlisle's, I think it was their Q3 earnings report, the, the CEO said they were as busy as they've ever been on, on kind of those large scale carve outs. So I think it's probably been delayed to Dylan's point into 2021, which again, also hits on another one of our predictions, so. It yeah. does. The, the Department of Justice also sort of explicitly called out private equity as, uh, as a sort of a disposition option when it comes to uh, sort of anti-monopolistic uh, practices. Right. Um, and, and so that, that's just one more factor that, that sort of uh, plays in here. Well, whatever rhetoric helps, why not? Um, <laughs> Let me, t I know the, the report looked at US PE and middle market, but can we touch on the international and sort of the differences compare and contrast? Was the same fair world over Europe, Asia, or were we here sort of, uh, you know, when I, when I think of PE, it's really two worlds, the US and the rest of the world. So had, what, what do you see happening there? So I, I haven't looked at uh, Asia data lately, but in Europe, it's been largely the same story, if not slightly better in Europe in terms of deal-making activity. Mm. Um, kind of speaking in terms of private markets more broadly, we saw venture capital deal-making in Europe set new records this year, which nobody expected given the, the pandemic environment we were in. Private equity was not quite as as prolific, uh, but I, if, if memory serves, a bit more, a bit more resilient uh, than the U.S. markets were, um, you know, European European private equity is in many ways a, a decade or so behind the U.S. in terms of its development, AUM and dry powder and all the rest. And so I think it has some some more of those uh, sort of structural tailwinds to ride uh, in terms of you know institutions allocating to private markets uh, in those in those geographies. Did you see more a lot more cross border activity, or did that sort of halt for a while? In terms uh, of transactions, we saw, if, if memory serves, a decrease in cross-border deals within Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's country to country, all, all European countries. Um, but I haven't looked at the data between Europe and the US lately, to be honest. Yeah, interesting. Well, maybe for the next one. Well, I want to touch on your, um, as we finish off here, sort of the back end of the report and your predictions. You've, you've, you've sort of... Um, teased us with one or two there, but Wiley, you know, in terms of fundraising, what, what, you know, what do we expect for, for the coming year and some of those other predictions that you talk of in the report? Yeah, so I'm happy to, you know, touch on fundraising a little bit in general and we can get to some others, but I, you know, one of the things that we're expecting and we have kind of two surrounding fundraising is overall fundraising. We expect a, an absolute record in terms of 
U.S. fundraising activity. I, I think there's several mega funds kind of coming to market and, and some of the larger managers have kind of publicly announced and acknowledged that maybe because of the pandemic, it's, it's pulled forward a few of their funds that maybe had been expected to launch in 2022 or, or somewhere around then. And so that's going to be interesting to watch. We also think first-time funds are going to see the most activity that they've seen since at least 2009. So for the last you know decade plus or since the global financial crisis as to the point that we were talking about earlier, a lot of these managers, while, while some did find success in terms of fundraising in 2020, there were also quite a few that, you know, we've talked to and then other conversations that, you know, it had to be pushed off until the LP could kind of come into 2020, 2021 with a, uh, a fresh plate and, and kind of look at things in that sense. And so we think there's going to be quite a lot of activity on, on the smaller side with maybe, let's say, first-time managers and, and maybe those ones raising sophomore funds and in that area. So those kind of emerging managers. Mm. Another another prediction I'll give you, Vikash, is uh, we expect prices to continue rising uh, in private equity and also in the mid-market next year. Uh, one of our, our predictions is that 20% of buyouts will be done above 20 times EBITDA, uh, which is, is really, you know, any mid-market manager thinking about 20 times EBITDA for most of their deals is just it sounds outrageous, um, but that really does show up in the data. Um, you know, yeah. more and more, we talk about these VC venture capital to private equity buyouts. Uh, it's more common now for these, you know, generally younger, fast growing tech companies to be valued off, say a multiple of revenue instead of EBITDA, which is not the typical private equity model, but it's, it's right. becoming more and more common. Um, so I think, I think as we, that combined with sort of this bull market and everything quantitative easing and, and really a, risk on appetite across asset classes will continue to see prices increase. Well, I'm glad you mentioned valuations and, and, and pricing. That's interesting. I guess the, the dynamics lend itself to that. Any other predictions, Dylan? And, and I'm going to make sure that in, in, the, in the description of the video and certainly on the podcast audio, we, we, we have a link to, to the report itself so people can delve deeper into that. But any passing thoughts, any other predictions that um, you talk about in, in the report, Dylan? You know, we've got an entirely separate report uh, with these predictions. We call it our, our private equity outlooks. Um, right. We are predicting an, an increase in pricing. Uh, Wiley already touched on another, which is we're predicting record-setting fundraising. Um, and then, Wiley, I don't know if you want to talk about GP stakes for next year, kind of an interesting part of the market as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Happy to touch on that briefly. Um, you know, one of the things we're predicting within the GP stakes market, which is you know, certainly a, a niche and, and can cover all the way up to the very top end of, of the market, which is, you know, some sort of new exit strategy or, or, you know, some sort of new exit form for a GP stakes portfolio. And, and some of the things that we've seen are Dial, the largest manager, looking at a strip sale, which is kind of a selling a pro rata chunk mm -hmm. of the portfolio to an outside buyer or you know, securitization, almost like you would with, you know, a bunch of mortgages, since these portfolios are, you know, just a, an accumulation of, of cash flows that can be modeled out just as, you know, anything else, or looking at SPACs, uh, portfolio IPOs, there's just so many options available. And it seems like LPs really want some type of liquidity option that we think, or at least I think in, in 2021, there's going to be some sort of, of, you know, groundbreaking type of, of liquidity or monetization that, that occurs. Yeah. I, I've got to touch on this before before we part. Um, 
you know, we had seen a ratchet up of or ratcheting up of LPs doing deals directly and bypassing, although the audience won't like this, or at least the bulk of them bypass <laughs> the, 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 the managers. Are we seeing more of that? I mean, you're certainly seeing what's happening with strategics and family offices as well, but are we seeing more LPs going direct? Know, so or otherwise? That was actually kind of a, a prediction we had in 2019 is that we did expect that. And, hmm. and what we saw, if I, I believe, and I, I can look back on it, but I think sovereign wealth funds were about in line with where they were the year before, but some of the public pensions kind of actually decreased direct deal activity. And so, you know, TBD on, on that going forward, but I, I think in general across family offices and a lot of these other maybe more sophisticated large LPs is, yeah, they see either co-investments or direct deals as ways to kind of get a bigger chunk of, of the returns without maybe paying the same amount of fees. And so, yeah, you know, I think there can be some pressures there, but I, I think there will likely always be a place for, you know, these managers. Yeah. Right. Similarly, value. if you look a bit outside of PE into venture capital, we've seen an increase in what we call tourist investing, right? And so that's any non-traditional venture capitalists. Uh, so it could be mutual funds, could be hedge funds, could, could be private equity, often corporate venture capital firms as well. Um, seems like more and more types of institutions uh, want to have a direct allocation to, to private markets of some kind. All right, brilliant. Well, look, time as always is against us. And, but I want to I thank you both, Dylan and Wiley, for your time. Um, and it's, it's great just to give, get a bit of an overview of the reports that you're put, putting out there. And you produce so many and, the, and they make for compelling reading, most of them. So thank you for those. And we'll make sure we, we add the link onto the description here. But um, thank you again, both for your time. And, and I, I hope that we can keep this going. Maybe when more reports come out, get, get a little preview to them or, 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 or a review of them that come out. But um, cheers. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Vikash. Happy to do it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. No, likewise. And uh, we'll see the audience or at least you'll hear from us on, on the next podcast. So uh, thank you all and, and see you soon. Bye.